Could I ask you this morning to stand with me? And I want us to pray. <clears throat> we appreciate you being here, and uh, we're thankful for 2022. Amen. Amen. And the opportunities that God will give us and what God wants to do in our midst. And before I share with you from the book of Acts today, uh, I wanted us just to bow before the Father and to pray. And um, I won't tell you what I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray for it, okay? Is that all right? If you join me in prayer this morning. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather <clears throat> as a church family. Uh, Father, I, I realize that uh, as we sit in this auditorium that um, there's individual needs. Each one of us comes to this place with a different life story and different needs, different life circumstances. I think about people in the room that have, uh, uh, Father, serious prayer burdens right now in their life. And Father, I pray that as we come to worship and as we uh, spend some of this time just one-on-one -on -one with you, that, Father, you would hear that burden. And, Father, I pray that your, your hand would be moved and that we would see your grace and your mercy in our lives in those circumstances. Father, uh, collectively as a church, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to begin a new year. And, uh, Father, I, I pray that you would... Um, lead us in a, in a fresh and a new way, uh, Father, to, to follow you, uh, to see all that you would, you would want to do in our midst. And so, Father, I pray not only individually, but corporately today, uh, we would begin this year with uh, a sense of surrender <clears throat> to you that, Father, we would relinquish the control of our lives and the past, whatever that baggage may be, and that, Father, today, either literally or symbolically, we would leave it at the altar today, and, uh, Father, you just, you'd give us a fresh start, and so uh, I ask that you'd speak to us, and, uh, Father, the, the preacher acknowledges today that um, I'm not even a spokesman. <laughs> I'm just um, the one that, Father, we pray that you would choose to speak through and um, that you would speak to our hearts wherever we are and whatever it is that you need to do in our lives. And, Father, I pray as a church that you'd bring us to the place uh, not only of surrender but humility before you that would, would acknowledge, Father, that apart from you, uh, that, Father, we can't do even what you've called us to do. And so we pray uh, for your movement in our hearts and our lives today. And we trust that to you. We pray that you speak to us as we look in these next few moments in your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> I want to say this before I jump in and, and press to what God's laid on my heart today that um, I know post-COVID, we've, we've done some things differently as far as the way we conclude our service. And, um, but 
I know today we, we end our world mission offering, and that's something we do during that final song. So we have a final song. And that's a time for you to uh, really just spend some time with God and saying, God, what is it that I need to respond? That song time is your one-on-one -on -one response time with God. You can come to the altar. Um, uh, Will and Byron and I uh, uh, are here, but that is your time to encounter God. At the end of that time, um, the pastors will be at the front is you need to uh, somebody to pray with uh, if you need to make a decision uh, to follow Jesus wow that'd be a great way to start the new year uh, you need to make a decision about church membership or something like that other decisions we're available at the end of that and we have we have plenty of time as people are dismissed in that time and so uh, but particularly I wanted just to say in that time that, uh, that song, the final song, uh, that is your time to uh, respond one-on-one -on -one in your heart to God. That includes come to the altar, you can. Uh, there's one foundational truth that I want to just lay down today from the book of Acts. Before we kind of get, I don't want to say the book of, it's not like getting, I was about to say get down, before we get down in the weeds, I just need to lay this truth, but I probably shouldn't say getting into the book of Acts is like getting in the weeds. But what I mean by that is the details. And there's some details we're going to cover. And we, last Sunday we started a sermon of seri uh, series of sermons in which our, uh, we're going to look at the book of Acts and it's going to lead us from now until Easter. It's a little bit different series in the sense that it is a thematic series. It's not going to be a verse-by-verse -verse study of the book of Acts. Uh, it's thematic. Uh, and we, we sit down, Will and Byron and I, and we sit down and we kind of decided or looked and we searched. We spent about an hour. Oh, boy. And God gave mercy at the end of that hour <clears throat> because I think the holidays were about to start. And it's like, okay, we, we got to decide something here. Uh, how is it we're going to approach the book of Acts? There's certain themes and things that we wanted to look at in, in God, uh, what he did. But uh, the framework begins with the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 18, when he, he made the declaration, I will build my church. When Jesus makes that statement, what, I, what we realized that morning as we sat in my office is that when we begin to hear the story in the book of Acts, it is the fulfillment <clears throat> of Jesus' declaration, I will build my church. That is, that is what Jesus is doing in the book of Acts. And I know if you were here last Sunday that you, you heard uh, that sermon uh, on that. Uh, and we want to spend these weeks between now and Easter just looking thematically how did Jesus in specific ways build his church in the book of Acts. Do you understand the implication for us today as a church? Jesus continues to build his church. Do you know how long he will do that? until he comes again. So it's, it's lasted about 2,000 years now. 
But I have to believe that the way that Jesus was building the church as recorded in the 28 chapters in Acts is the way that he still is building the church today. It seems as if it has implications for us about how we will live and how we will conduct ourselves. Not only corporately, but every Sunday, I really believe we'll come back to individually. If I'm a part of the church, how does this apply to my life? So there's one foundational truth. Um, and it is this, that Jesus builds the church through his spirit. Uh, Jesus builds his church through his spirit. I chose those words carefully. And one of the things I, I want us to understand in the weeks moving forward is the Holy Spirit is not some entity apart from Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. And, of course, that's where we kind of get into, well, we do get into Trinitarian theology and to talk about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And I don't know, I think somehow, and maybe we as Baptists, we kind of think, oh, there's Jesus, and then there's, oh, there's the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15, 16, that section of Scripture, you see this, that Jesus begins to say that he's going to send the comforter. Well, actually what he says is the Father's going to send the comforter. And then all of a sudden, about a verse later, he says, I'm going to send the comforter. And you go, wait a second. Is the Father going to send it? Or is, are you going to send it? And the answer is always yes. That's just kind of the Trinitarian, I was going to say schizophrenia, but I don't know. I don't know if that's a good word either. Sorry, I've used down in the weeds and schizophrenic to describe the Trinity. I don't, but it's just, but all of a sudden Jesus says, I'm going to send the Spirit. And then he says, but there's a verse in which he says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I thought you were sending the Holy Spirit. And now you say you're coming. Yes. For the Spirit to come is for Jesus to come. And the Father's mixed in there. And um, I've had a lot of schooling and done this a long time. And that's my best explanation I can give you right there. Okay? It's a mystery. I, I'm sorry. Who sends the Spirit? The Father sends it. Jesus sends it. It's not, and it's not an it. And it is a force. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. Jesus builds his church through his spirit. I, I just want to lay that foundation today because before we can really move on, and, and probably I said this last Sunday if you were here and you go, preacher, we've already got that point. No, there's some things that are just foundational that we just have to lay the foundation and to say that Jesus builds the church through his spirit. And what we will see in the book of Acts moving forward is that it is through his spirit. And I'm just, I'm, I said this last week, I'm going to say it again this week. It helps you understand where we're going and the themes that we're going to talk about. But what we see in the book of Acts is that through the Holy Spirit, God calls out leaders. He gives boldness to his followers to testify of him. It's through his spirit that he draws the lost to salvation. It is through the spirit that he gives them courage to be baptized. 
It is through the Spirit that he gives him a hunger for the truth, the Word of God. It is through the Holy Spirit that he brings him to the place uh, of surrender, of dependence upon God to the point of prayer. It is through the Spirit that they that the Spirit does miracles, that Jesus does miracles. The Spirit unifies the believers. It gives them generosity. It gives them a care for one another. It gives them perseverance in the midst of persecution. And it also navigates conflict. And the Spirit also sends them out in missions. And those are all good. But before we go there, this one foundational truth that Jesus builds the church through his spirit. Without the spirit of God, the church cannot be built. Without the spirit of God, the church cannot be built. I really ought to close in prayer right then. No, that, that's it. Uh, and sometimes we get this idea that it's our strategies, our programs, our facilities, building the church. Sometimes even if you're maybe on staff or you're a church leader, you get this idea, we know how to build a church. That's a scary place to be because it's only through the Spirit of God that the church is built. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. And so kind of thematically when we come to the early part of Acts, we come to Acts 2. And God, or Jesus, somebody from heaven sends the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, it comes and it fills them. And it's described to us relatively simply in the four, first four verses of Acts 2. And it says in Acts 2, 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one set upon each of them. And they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And quite honestly, that's where the story really begins of Jesus building the church. The one thing that Jesus had to do for the church to be built was to send the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, the church cannot be built. Uh, I want you to see the time, the place, and the event of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And maybe this will help you put some of this into context. 
uh, for the days moving forward for the rest of the book of Acts. But there was a time. God had a perfect time, and it's described in verse 1 when it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Pentecost was a Jewish feast. It's 50 days after Passover. Um, there was a perfect timing you see in, in Acts 1, some of the, the time frame uh, to the book of Acts. And so from Jesus dies at Passover, was raised on the third day. Acts 1 tells us that for 40 days he met with the disciples on after 40 days, he ascended to the Father, and so we know that Pentecost is 50 days out, and so uh, there's 10 days, 10 days between Jesus' ascension and when he sent the Holy Spirit. And chapter 1 tells us a, a few things that they were doing. They were gathered in the upper room. They selected Judas's successor, and there's, there's a few things like that that are told for us. But then all of a sudden, the story tells us in God's perfect timing, on the day of Pentecost at the feast, and there, there's several reasons here, um, but just understand it was God's time. There was a timing to this. Uh, it, the event of the coming of the Holy Spirit fulfilled the Old Testament feast of Pentecost just as Jesus' death had fulfilled uh, the killing of the Passover lamb. And so there's a fulfillment, and we've, we've talked about that previously. Uh, the, book of Pente uh, the, the feast of Pentecost in an agricultural sense was a harvest feast. It was the first fruits. God just, God loves these things. And so centuries before, he sets up all these feasts, and, and Pentecost is first fruits. And so what we see when the Spirit comes by the end of Acts chapter 2, the first fruits of salvation came to the church. 3,000 people, right? The first fruits came. God's just sitting there, I'm loving this. <laughs> the way I set all this up thousands of years before this. But also, uh, they celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai at Pentecost, which they believed that was 50 days after their exodus in Egypt, and the exodus from Egypt obviously is connected to the Passover, and then 50 days later they're at Mount Sinai, and God gives the law, but the prophet said that someday God will not write his law on stone, but God will write his law on your hearts. And God sends the Spirit on the day of Pentecost to say, my law is not written on stone, but when my spirit comes to live inside of you, it's written on your hearts. And so all of this is the fulfillment. This is in God's big scheme of things, why it's a part of the timing. But I, I get to thinking even when they were at Mount Sinai, there were certain sights and sounds that were going on when, when God appeared on that mountain with Moses. And all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit comes, it says, uh, you know, it talks about, uh, the wind and the fire and those things, and we're going to talk about those in just a minute. But I want us to think about the timing of it all. And when Jesus began to meet with his disciples, uh, recorded in Luke 24, 49, uh, he said, 
I'm, I'm going to send the promise of the Father. But he uses that word, and we don't use it much anymore in our language, but he says, tarry, T-A-R-R-Y, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. They had to wait 10 days, but, but Jesus said, wait. I, I got to thinking about this, and, and we actually we see that same thing in Acts 1, and we saw it a little bit. Jesus, even in Acts 1-8, he talks about, um, well, earlier he talks about the promise of the Father and John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in verse 8, but you shall, future tense, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. There is this sense of, of waiting, but this is what I get with the timing. It's, and it, this is interesting to me that when they're sitting in the upper room before the day of Pentecost, you would think they have everything they need to do what God has called them to do. Those people had been taught by Jesus. They had the teaching of Jesus. Jesus had died on the cross. They had the sacrificial death to pay for their sins. Jesus had been raised from the dead. They had the power of the resurrection. And he had ascended to the Father. You think... The followers of Jesus have everything they need, and they had the commission. Jesus had given them their marching orders. Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples of all nations. All of these things. They, you think right at that point, before the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, you think the church has everything they need, right? They have the teaching of Jesus. They have the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension. They have his commission to tell them what to do. It's only one thing. And it is the one thing you can't take out of the equation and make it work. And it was the Holy Spirit. The teaching of Jesus. The, cru the crucifixion, the resurrection, the commission of Jesus. If you take it out, the church cannot be built. Um, there was a place, the scribes in verse 1, that they were all with one accord in one place. They were, we had to believe they were in the upper room. Do you know how many people were in the upper room? Acts 1 tells us 120. 120. All in one room. There was a reason. There was a reason that it was a feast time. It was a reason they were all in one place, all 120 of them, because of what God is going to do. But most importantly, I want you to see the event that is described. Uh, verse 2 uh, the word suddenly, we could do a whole series of studies on those suddenlies in the Bible. The most recent has been that the angel appears suddenly uh, to the shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem. But it's suddenly uh, there came a sound from heaven. So there was something they heard, and they knew directionally where it came from. The sound came from heaven. It doesn't say that it was a mighty rushing wind. It says it was, it was a sound as of a rushing mighty wind. 
they described it in the only earthly terms they knew. And so there was something they heard. In fact, it says it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And so it describes them being in one room. There, there's a point to this. But not only did they hear something, but they saw something. In verse 3, then there appeared to them divided tongues, not of fire, but as of fire. It wasn't fire, but it was something like fire because that's the only earthly term we have. It looked like tongues of, it, yeah, it was like that. So they heard something, but they saw something. This, this takes us back to Mount Sinai when they, they saw these outward manifestations of the presence of God. And once again, when the Spirit comes, they hear something, they see something. Um, but I think the thing of most significance is the end of verse 3. It says, and one sat upon each of them. So the tongue of, tongues of fire, visually they saw, get this, it didn't go to the 12. How many did it go to? 120. Everybody. Um, this is emphasized again in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Something I want to say real quickly as we move to the close. <laughs> that in the Old Testament, there was a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit on, select, on the select few in certain seasons. That's what we see. The pattern of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is there was this sprinkling of the Holy Spirit on a select few in certain seasons of their life. But the prophecy of Joel, and uh, Peter says this later in his sermon in verses 16, 17, and 18. Uh, part of what happened that day was the volume. Uh, oh, the, um, that's not the word. It's not the, uh, the quantity Part of what happened that day was the quantity of the Spirit. It was not a sprinkling. No, the prophecy of Joel is that God will pour out. Uh, this is the same sense in, in earlier in chapter 1 when it says, and you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptized means to dunk under the water. It means to be immersed. It's not a sprinkling. It is a dunking. Any Baptist that wants to say amen right now can say amen. That's fine. Um, but part of what was going on that day was the quantity of the Spirit. It was not a sprinkling of the Spirit as we saw in the Old Testament. But the other thing, it was, it was the duration, I believe, of the Spirit in that, and we don't have time to trace this down, but that the Spirit would come to abide it wasn't that the Spirit was going to come upon certain people at certain times for certain purposes. No, the Spirit was coming to stay. And the other thing is that the, the Spirit came upon all. It was the extent. It's the quantity, the duration, and the extent 
of this event that is so significant because the Spirit came upon all. All 120 received and were filled by the Holy Spirit that day, every member of the church. The event that is described here is historically unique, and I don't have time to trace this down, but it is much like the birth of Jesus, the crucifixion, it is the resurrection. This is a historically unique event. Um, and certain people have been led astray by making an event like this prescriptive of what must happen as opposed to uh, the event being descriptive. Uh, Luke describes what God did that day that is descriptive. It is another step to say it is prescriptive to mean this is what must happen. We have to be careful that we don't make the descriptive prescriptive and say, oh, this is what happens. In fact, historically we know that uh, we don't see the sights and the sounds of the coming of the Holy Spirit, not, not recorded in the book of Acts. And in fact, the other thing we see is that when um, the 3,000 come to faith in Christ at the end of this chapter, so hours after this, they don't speak in tongues. Peter says to them, repent. They say, what should we do? They, Peter says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And he says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you and to your children and all who are far off as many as the Lord will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Luke doesn't record. They could have spoken in tongues, but it doesn't record that. There are historically unique events that occur in Pentecost and the giving of the Spirit, the sights and the sound, and in some respects the speaking in tongues, even though we see it later in the book of Acts, are historically unique events. Can God do it today? Yes. Must God do it today? No. In fact, it implies that the 3,000 came to faith, were saved, received the Holy Spirit, and were baptized that day. The event is that God historically, in a historically unique event, gives the Spirit to the believers and subsequently Every believer that comes to faith in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Jesus begins his spiritual ministry, Acts chapter 2. He's had a physical ministry of 33 years um, in the physical. And now Jesus begins his spiritual ministry that began on the day of Pentecost. Jesus builds the church through his spirit. Without the spirit, the church can't be built. We can have the right strategies, programs, facilities. It's not enough. It's not that the Holy Spirit is one component of what God does. No, it is. Jesus builds his church 
through his spirit. It is the way he operated in the book of Acts. It is the way he operates today. It brings us to the point that we understand that we cannot build the church in our own strength and wisdom. Church, that's the foundational truth. Jesus builds the church through his spirit. Without the spirit, the church can't be built. That's our, that's our foundational truth for the rest of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit is essential. It's, it's, it's essential for us as a church. And we'll talk about this in the weeks to come. Hmm. It is essential in our individual lives. The Christian life cannot be lived without the Holy Spirit. We can do all kinds of things. We can have all kinds of practices, <laughs> principles that we live by. As the body without the Spirit is dead, so the Christian without the Spirit is dead. I mean, you can't even call it a Christian. The church without the Spirit is dead. It's a corpse. The Spirit of Jesus is the way he is building the church. And so, stand with me this morning. <clears throat> so, church, here, that as we move forward. The church did not begin until Jesus sent the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus begins to operate and to build the church. Um, hmm. If you're a Christian, you receive the Spirit when you were saved. Paul's challenge from that day forward is that every day we would be filled by the Holy Spirit. Not the same experience. Um, and I've thought about this as your pastor and this is kind of where I want us just to to rest for just a moment. What does it take in my life for Jesus' Spirit to fill me? If, if it is the essential I wanted to quote this Latin phrase that means without this, it's not, but I'm going to butcher that. I'm not going to quote Latin from the pulpit. But the Holy Spirit is that in the church and in the individual's life. You cannot live the Christian life. What does it look like? What does it take for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis? That's what I want you to think about today. You know what? In my own life, I don't want to give you my answer. <laughs> what God said to me is, I have to take control. You know what I heard God say? You have to let go of control. Wow, that was kind of harsh. He said it in a nice voice, though. 
as long as Daryl Smith's in control. The Spirit's not. That's why when we prayed to start, I said it's about surrender. I have to give up. The only way God will fill, you know, I've said this many times, God only fills hands that are empty. If your hands are full of stuff, God, God can't put anything in them. And I think it's true for our hearts and our control and what I want to do in my practice of religion, my principles I live by, all of those things, as long as it's filled with me, there's not a space for the Holy Spirit. And the one thing that must be is the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's not the Christian life. It's just the practice of religion. Um, so we're going to sing after I pray. Your time to respond. That will conclude our service. You can come and do your world mission offering during the final song. Today's the final day. Um, at the end, Will and Byron, I'll be at the front if you'd like to visit with us. So, Father, today as we humble ourselves before you, we acknowledge that uh, we can't. But, Father, I'm encouraged as a pastor by Jesus' words that he will. And so, Father, I pray that we would surrender. We would empty ourselves of control of our practice, our principles, and we would uh, be filled with your spirit. And Father, today we pray that you'd build the church for your glory and for your honor. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.